correct. Did you have a countdown on your screen too? I did. Five, yeah. four, three. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got it. It was all there, brother. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, cool. Thanks for coming on today. Um, yeah, man, of course. Why don't you uh, give folks an introduction? Tell us who you are, what you do, what your passions are, all that kind of good stuff. Well, on Facebook, I have the moniker of Das Boost, so that's what a lot of people know me as, and uh, I discovered in LinkedIn. The infamous, was, the infamous Das yeah, Boot. <laughs> we discovered that in Lincoln that that was that was it was a name oh yeah yeah okay okay and i was like but it's i don't know if it's a good thing that i you know that nobody really calls me by my first name because there's people that actually just (laughs) believe that that's my actual name now so that's kind of funny right right. um but uh (laughs) no i am uh along with yourself i am one of the board members at billy the kids historical coalition um man it's almost been two years since i joined and uh you know you were along with that for that ride as well. And so much has Mm. happened and got to experience Lincoln for the first time back in August during Lincoln days and experienced that with you and Josh and Jeremiah. And, uh, I'll tell you what, that trip really kind of brought a culmination of everything I've been doing for the last few years. And, uh, it was a lot of what I expected it to be, you know what I mean? But then there was more of it that I'm still, I still can't quite put into words. I can still feel it. You know what I mean? Um, but mm-hmm. it was a great experience though. I mean, it was more than that though. I mean, driving from Albuquerque to Capitan in the middle of the night, you know, almost three hours with oh, yeah. absolutely no street lights whatsoever. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> and hit a, hit a big kind of rainstorm that hit pretty hard for about like eight, not eight to 10 minutes. And then it just stopped, you know, it just went away. Oh, cool. You know, so that was fun, you know, but it was a great experience. And, um, yeah, I work a lot with, uh, detailed text. I kind of feel like that has become my forte over the last few years and built myself up a nice library and, uh, do articles for the website and, uh, you know, put a lot of information out there on the Facebook groups. And that's always been fun. Sometimes it has its setbacks and stuff like that, but that's pretty Mm -hmm. much what I do. And then I've got two big projects that I have been slowly, but surely working on, um, uh, in Lincoln, I was able to discover that I was on the wrong path for one of them. So I'm going to have to, going to have to rewind a few steps. So are these, are these, uh, confidential projects you're working on, uh, soon to be revealed or can you talk about them or? Uh, one of them hasn't been discussed. Uh, the other one is attempting to locate John Middleton's grave. Oh, very cool. That would be awesome if you could locate that. Yeah. Um, And, uh, got to meet David Thomas and Lincoln and, you know, David's David. And we sat there for a good couple hours, you know, that first day and half hour the second day. And we talked and, I just tried to let him a little bit know of what I had done. And he said, you're on the right path, but that cemetery that Hmm. you ended up thinking he's in, he's like, I've been there. He's, he's not there. And I'm like, ah, and I'm like, you're positive. And he goes, absolutely. He goes, I I wouldn't tell you otherwise. And he goes, but he's not there. So I had to retrack and he knew exactly how I got to that uh, conclusion and just told me mm-hmm. to backtrack a little bit and go from here and start there. And he he told me the reason why he's not there. And it had to do with the uh, name change of the town itself. So, oh, okay. There's a few other so things. So you're pretty yeah, confident. More... You're kind of in agreement with, with David there that, that that was the incorrect cemetery. Yes, because no matter what I tried... I could not connect him either by his name, his mm-hmm. alias, or his real name. I, I just couldn't connect him. Well, and then- and and that's something actually that you know, um, your your work where you had uh, requested those John Middleton letters that he'd written to Tunstall's father, um, right? And your research into those—that's really, I think, for me what cemented his, his real identity as Jesse Ward dancer from Texas. Uh, because yeah. up to that point it had been discussed as a possibility 
it had been kind of, you know, implied. But I think really the work that you did on those Middleton letters, putting that together with newspaper articles and, you know, the, uh, the wife's divorce complaint, it really cemented. I think it's, it's basically, we can say with complete certainty that John Middleton's real name was Jesse Ward dancer, uh, from, I forget the County in Texas that he was from, but we, we did some good work on that and you, uh, you've really solidified that identity for me. So that was really good. Well, yeah, man. And you were such a big help in the beginning when I came to you, I was like, this is what I've got and it's a lot of information and I just need to find a way to kind of get through it. And, uh, when we did come to that realization, yeah, it was, it was kind of a big thing. There were, uh, a few big things that came out of that, that research of those letters. Uh, one mm-hmm. pretty much can solidify that Middleton is not referring to outlaw Jesse Evans from the boys. He is referring to Jesse Correct. Evans from the cattle firm of Hunter and Evans, the same firm that purchased, uh, half of Chisholm's cattle in 1878. And man, yeah. those guys had a lot, those guys had a lot of money and a lot of ranches. And in all those letters, uh, Middleton's letters to, to J.P. Tunstall. I mean, there's just about 10 in total. I mean, in mm-hmm. later letters, like the seventh and eighth letter, he's talking about Jesse Evans by name and what he does. And he loaned him money. And he's like, well, now he's informing me I got to pay him back. And <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so he confirms everything, too, by the um, by the location of where the, the posting of the letters are as well. You know what I mean? Which but is it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny and sad at the same time when you read those letters, you see that most of them are just subtle requests for money from Tunstall's father, especially playing on Tunstall's father's emotions. Um, your Absolutely. your son was such a good friend. Yeah, your your son was such a good yeah. friend, and he always he always talked about me, and we were we were so close. And by the way, if you have any money to spare, <laughs> <laughs> right? Listen. If anybody needs money more than I could tell you, it's John Middleton. Yeah, what does he say? Nobody's more at the end of their fray than John Middleton. Something along those lines. But yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, I think the very first letter is the only one that there isn't a, an immediate reference to money. Something in like the first paragraph about how hard up mm-hmm. he is. Um, we do know also that near the end of those letters, he is saying that he's very ill. And that in one of those letters, he actually states, I'm very ill. And my friend actually wrote this letter for me. So, and that wow. letter would be within that uh, six to eight month time frame before he dies. And we know from that um, Red River Chronicle newspaper article, the obituary, um, they died of smallpox. Mm-hmm. Um, while researching the letters, there were some notes for, from uh, Mr. Robert Mullen. And Mullen did suggest, which is not completely, you know, crazy at all, but he, Mullen, Mullen speculated that smallpox with the combination of the shot in the lungs from Blazer's Mill, which he never fully healed from. So if you take the combination of those two ailments, you know, probably safe to assume that the smallpox just kind of, you know, hurried it up a little bit quicker, you know? Yeah. So, uh. And I agree about you saying that that solidifies it because that divorce petition for her to name. Yeah. For her to name him as Jesse Ward dancer from Bastrop. Mm -hmm. It was from Bastrop County. That's where he was from. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, and we know, we know that it was the regulator, John Middleton who did travel to Kansas with, uh, Henry Brown who did marry, uh, Colcord's sister, all that's documented. Absolutely. So for for the sister to say yes, this John Middleton, my husband, was Jesse Ward Dancer, is yeah. irrefutably the John Middleton who was a regulator, and and it's it fascinates me that John John Middleton and Henry Brown seem kind of to be a pair that left New Mexico at the same time, traveled with each other up to Kansas and then they split ways right. there. But it's interesting that I don't know how close those two were or if they just both wanted to get out of Dodge at the same time, but that's a interesting little pair up. Yeah. And that is an interesting, it is an interesting correlation. And you would think in all those letters, there would be 
some mention of that. Yeah. But no, no, it is his (laughs) desperate attempt to get money. It's his desperate attempt to get money. Absolutely. (laughs) But he, yeah, he's very descriptive about the, the wedding. Uh, We know that Tunstall sent him uh, $25 as a wedding gift. A lot of people thought that he sent him an actual gift worth $25. But if you, the letters, it's very clear. He just sent him $25. So, I don't Very know generous of the old man. Yeah, I don't know if that means that it worked. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there is also one other thing in those letters that uh, I believe was in, in my article. And if it wasn't, then shame on me. But we have talked well, yeah, about there's, it there's something there's something I want to talk about, too. And I wonder if this is it. So I'd like to hear what this, this issue of yours is that you want to talk about. In one of the letters to J.P. Tunstall Middleton. Now, whether he's telling the truth or not, who knows? Mm-hmm. But it is interesting. He says that Alexander, lawyer Alexander McSween gave me a promissory note of $500 against John Tunsil's estate, but I lost it. He ah. says, I have misplaced it. So would that indicate a $500 payment for his acts in the Lincoln County War? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. But I think that's very, very telling to at least speculate on it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But I don't yeah, know. And, and wasn't the rate, couldn't the rate have been something like $5 a day or uh, so so much, some kind of contract like that for the kind of yeah. a hired gun sense for a lot of right. these regulators? Right. And you remember, too, that and the day that Tunstall was killed, 30 or so higher gunmen were gathered up at McSween's house because Tunstall had told them to be there. You know, he was yeah. going to hire these. And I believe it is documented somewhere in a McSween letter that somewhere or Weidman might've been Weidman, um, Weidman, mm-hmm. whatever, uh, that I believe it was, it equaled out to like $4 or $5 a day. Something like that. I believe is, yeah. there is a, there is a documented digit out there that does state that. That's good work for a gunman, a good day's work. Yeah. Um, there's and, also, I think, Jim, does Jim French mention that in that uh, possibly authentic letter that they have from uh, Kiowa or Kiowa? Uh, yeah. Where he talks about I do, I, watching McSween's house and the, the bobcat or something like that jumps over them. Yes, yes, you're, you're correct. And he does mention that. It's been a while since I've viewed that letter. but Me um, too. Yeah, I I believe you are correct. There is at least two, at least two documentary, documented statements from two different regulators that have something about a note. I mean, but the fact that Middleton mentions five hundred dollars against Tunstall's estate to me makes sense because right. what was McSween? What was he giving him? He had no money. The money smoke train was coming from England. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right, so, yeah, absolutely. So Tunstall gets murdered, and you're like, oh, what do I do? And that's why I think that there's enough to also speculate whether or not Chisholm truly was involved as in-depth as people like to say. I think it's just as safe to say that McSween bartered with Chisholm's name. I think that mm-hmm. is also a possibility. Is that a fact? No. But I think it's safe to say that, you know, McSween could have been like, listen, I'll pay you this much. We, you know what I mean? When, you know, Chisholm will do this, Chisholm will do that. But we also have Middleton's letter to Sam Corbett that says, old John has gone back on us. And right. yeah, there's that one little line about after, you know, uh, the murder of uh, Brady and they left town for a little bit. And after Roberts was killed, um, yeah, that letter paints another picture. It's kind of like, well, Middleton's throwing Chisholm's name out there and he definitely was involved. I mean, Middleton was involved in so many events, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I also think he's, I think if he hadn't taken that shot in the lungs at Blazer's mill, I think he probably would have played a more important role because um, we do know that Middleton is described by Tunstall to his father in yeah. those letters. He's one of the first ones he describes him and Brewer. And, um, there's a few other documentations as well that Middleton apparently was quite the gunsmith and yeah, definitely was and given someone. It, yeah. 
given how how few men Tunstall talked about in letters to his family, the fact that he yeah. brought up Middleton probably meant he had a pretty prominent position among the regulators. One one thing from Middleton's letters that struck me as very interesting was his attitude towards Billy, the kid, uh, when yeah. he said, Bonnie has gone traitor on us. So he, right. he writes, so what I'm wondering is, do you think that Middleton heard from maybe Sam Corbett or somebody else that Bonnie had been arrested and, you know, ha- was working with Wallace for that pardon uh, to testify against Jesse Evans, but from an outsider's perspective who didn't know about the dealing with Wallace and things like that, did it look yeah. to Middleton like Bonnie made peace with, with Jesse Evans and the Murphy faction and, you know, was was playing into their hands? What do you think his mindset was to, to call Bonnie a traitor? Well... I think the thing about that is definitely because you got to remember in that correspondence, when Middleton mentions that letter specifically that we're talking about, and he says, you know, Billy Bonnie, he's talking to JP Tonstall. Billy Bonnie was with us in the Canyon when your son was killed. Billy was with us up until the last moment, you know, whatever. But he goes, if rumors are true, then money Mm -hmm. has won him over in the letter. Middleton also mentions about Billy being the prime witness against Evans, Dolan, and Billy Campbell. That's pretty interesting that he would out him as being that prime witness when Billy had to go through quite a bit with Wallace in order to keep that, you know, the sham arrest, everything to do the testimony. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I think Middleton's in Kansas, remember, So he could be getting that information from another letter, which in that letter, he does reference where that information came from. And I do believe it was DP shields. I do believe it was. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, It would make, that would make sense actually. So I'd have to look at it again, but you know, I've read those letters so many times and I believe it is. (laughs) I'm 90% sure it's DP shields. And so he is referencing, of course, the armistice between Dolan Evans um, I can't, uh, Billy Matthews was there, a few other people that were people that were there and Billy is like, Hey, you know, it really seemed like uh, all the documented evidence, and the text that we have, and even all the stuff that's been really like scrutinized. I don't really think Billy wanted anything else other than to get people off of his back. At, at that point, mm-hmm. he's running from soldiers. He's running from Dolan's faction. You know, he wanted really to put that to an end. Um, that's how it really looks because you got to think it's quite daring and quite ballsy of him to ride into Lincoln during the time that he rides into Lincoln to do this. I mean, at that mm-hmm. time, you know, Brady's been killed. You know, they're not really looked upon as likable. You know, they didn't really have that many supporters. So I think that says a lot that he was willing to go to their terms and their ground. Like, hey, let's meet right here and let's talk. Um, And then we have so that's the reference as Middleton's talking about. Okay, so they get together and maybe it's just because Dolan was involved that Middleton would go to the extent of saying that Bonnie and the others accepted money. But I've it is we've never it's it's a confusing armistice from the perspective of Middleton or or anybody else, if you trust the sources that say, you know, like George Coe, who said he saw Billy say, I'll, I'll get every one of them that killed Tunstall. And I believe Coe was the one who said when they were departing Lincoln County and tried to get Billy to join them, Billy said, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to steal myself a living and I'm going to kill every one of the people involved with Tunstall's. So if John Middleton is aware of this, if that was a true sentiment of Billy's, which that can be questioned because I take a lot of what George Coe and Frank Coe say with a grain of salt, um, because it gets into the, (laughs) the old timer tales once you get to the twenties and thirties. But, uh, that, that is a confusing armistice because you've got this kid who's just hell bent on, a blood feud and getting revenge or making things right, all of a sudden making peace with the Dolan crew. And it is, yeah. it, I can see how Middleton could be confused by that. And 
uh, call Bonnie a traitor. It's that's an interesting perspective, and I'm glad we have that letter to see kind of the yeah. dynamics of those guys because Billy's still alive at the time Middleton's writing this, and it's it's all still going on, which is fascinating. Absolutely. It's not something. Absolutely, it's yeah. not a Billy's recollection. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not a recollection. Yeah, like, yeah. It's not. Oh, it's like, hey, this is going on now. Bonnie's turned traitor. He's been bought off, or any you know things right. like that. Very exactly. interesting stuff. And yeah, um, I, there's another line. There's another line in that paragraph too, where it says, and Middleton says, and if this is true about him accepting money, I I shall never have confidence in him again. Well, and one of the things I wrote in my article, I'm like, well, that's an interesting statement because it probably suggests at one point he had a lot of confidence in Billy. And right. one of the things I made in point in my article, there isn't any other reference to say that Billy isn't the one who planned the uh, escape from the McSween house. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. did it go exactly as planned? No. But if he hadn't have probably made those quick-minded decisions in those last moments, would they have all had died? Would all of them been gunned down? I don't know. But for Middleton to suggest, like, I'm never going to have confidence in him again, I feel like at some point Middleton may have looked at him a little bit more strongly. But it could just be Dolan's name attached to it, Evan's name attached to it, that Middleton would make that conclusion. But remember, in the postscript, what did Middleton say in the PS to J.P. Tunsil? He said, in the postscript, it says, if when writing to any of the boys... Please do not mention me talking about Bonnie as a renegade. It might bring me into <laughs> trouble. It says it might bring yeah. me into trouble again. So that also is telling because he knows Billy is still alive. So you're right. What are the chances? Milton's be like, man, if this letter gets out or I'm telling all this stuff to J.P. Tunstall, which a good point that I wanted to really get across in the article is why is Middleton mentioning Billy Bonnie in the first place? Because we know. Right that John Tunstall never mentioned Billy in the letters. He wasn't a, a mentor. He wasn't this, you know, father figure. We have got that mm -hmm. pretty much well tightened down. Billy was with Tunstall for about 10 weeks before he died. And Tunstall was busy with quite a lot of impeccable business matters that were, you know, kind of encroaching on his life. And so I just... You know, there's no really way to make that connection um, about Billy and the Tunstall about I'm going to get some of them before he before he dies. I was remembering right. that in West of Billy the Kid, no one has that credited to Frank Coe saying that. I think mm -hmm. Coe said it as Frank said it as well. Right. Yeah. But yeah. there is one very including detail that we could go into thing about the funeral of John Tunstall as well. I think a lot of people confuse that was Billy's at the funeral and he's saying this over the coffin, but that's right. not the case. And West of Billy, the kid, Franco says that Billy says this over Tunstall's embalmed body, not at the funeral. So when the body was still in McSween's house and Tunstall funeral was inside McSween's house. It was inside McSween's okay. house. And then the bodies were taken out and then buried out behind the corral. So, okay, well that's that's interesting because what's funny is we we got on here today to talk about Tunstall's funeral, but that's the yeah. problem when you you have such a <laughs> an insane amount of information, you know, we bring up yeah. John Middleton and and we go on this digression where we could talk for so long about these Middleton letters, uh, which fascinates me. Uh, one thing I do like about that, that letter is it shows how much Middleton was still scared of Bonnie. <laughs> don't Absolutely. tell anyone, don't mention that I said anything about Billy going trader because I'm in yeah. Kansas and he'll come up here and get me right. for, for, you know, besmirching his name. And, and that, yeah. that's the same, you know, people were terrified of him and that's like all these people who re remember Billy say he was young, he was feminine looking, he was well-mannered, but at the same time, he had to have these qualities that kept these older, rougher outlaws men in check. I mean, he, yeah. I think he terrified him and that's, in, that's insane to think about this crazy young kid just this guy's in Kansas. He's far away and he's terrified. He, yeah. he doesn't want it mentioned that he's been talking 
dirt about Billy Bonnie. But right. and we you we know, should mention too that there is the okay, so what's the what's the reason? Why does Middleton decide to say these things about his former regulator and, you know, former Tunstall employee, friend, whatever? Why does he say yeah. this? Well, as I put in the article, it should be mentioned without going to a real deep thing. Dr. Henry Hoyt, who Billy sold the, oh, I lost you. Oh, that's okay. If you lose me, what's cool about this platform is it it records remotely. And so when it re-uploads, there will be no connection issues or anything. It's a really cool feature. Oh, Okay. Oh man, shit! Now I just lost my train. What were we talking about? Exactly. <laughs> uh, you were talking about Hoyt. You were talking about Middleton, right? So, Doctor Henry Hoyt, in his book uh, "Frontier Doctor," um, we know that Hoyt, you know, had a friendship with Billy. Uh, Hoyt was the one that Billy had sold uh, Brady's horse to and did the bill of sale. Uh, so Henry Hoyt comments in his book, and I put this in an article as a possibility as to why Middleton would say this about Billy. Well, according to Henry Hoyt in Tascosa, Tascosa, Texas, and um, I can't remember the name of the damn bar right now. Um, Josh the Equity. Was it, out. Yeah. was it the uh, Equity Bar? McMaster's. McMaster's in something saloon. Yeah, that store yeah. where they did hang out okay. apparently quite a bit. Hoyt is in there. He witnesses John Middleton being extremely drunk. And this is also the same yeah. passage where Hoyt states that any any text regarding Billy drinking or in bribing an alcohol, whatever, is not true. Is not true. He says he mm-hmm. never took a drink of alcohol. I never saw it. None of that's true. I mean, that's literally what he states. So they're in this bar. Middleton's drinking and Middleton's acting a fool. Billy comes in, tells Middleton to just chill out, stop drinking, <laughs> stop acting like a fool. Because Middleton was acting like a badass and, you know, he's going to shoot this person. He's going to shoot that person, you know, whatever. And right. so Hoyt says that Billy tells Middleton to get to camp and to leave now. And I remember that specifically, you know, get to camp, leave now. And Middleton turns and faces Billy and says, oh, come on, Billy, you can't take a joke. And Billy tells him, yeah, I can take a joke, but this isn't a joke. And then according to Hoyt, Mm -hmm. Billy stepped back towards the door, rested his hand on his pistol butt and said, or we can go out back and, you know, whatever, whatever there. So there's this incident that Hoyt says happened between Middleton and Bonnie. And that first letter that, (laughs) that Middleton ends up writing um, back to New Mexico or back to Tunstall once he's in Kansas is approximately 10 months after that incident that Hoyt says. Right. So good point. Very interesting. Is it the reason why he left? I mean, he was probably going to leave anyway, but it, it's also fun to speculate that in a little bit, like what happened in that moment with Middleton and Billy, if it really happened, Middleton was probably like, this kid is unpredictable in a way. He's got these dangerous blue eyes that are just staring at me. There's a lot of things I think he could have been thinking about, you know. Yeah. Um, but the Middleton that I could be one of the reasons why Middleton decided to write about Billy in such a way that is pretty unbecoming, you know what I mean? And then also to, right. hey, you know, he's the uh, witness against Dolan and Evans and people that he knows damn well would kill Billy on sight. So I also think that is mm-hmm. interesting that he would mention that. Well, you mentioned the the embalming of Tunstall's body. Yeah. And you talked about the the funeral in McSween's home. So I I don't think I've ever realized that those could have been spaced out. So Billy the embalming would have taken place shortly after Tunstall's body was brought there. Yeah. So the embalming would have taken place on um, the twentieth, and that is according okay. to the angel. That's according to the angel report itself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's the dates of this stuff, man. I have gone through the prime sources; those five main big, you know, head honcho historians. So, you know, I went to Nolan, Utley, Fulton, John P. Wilson. Um, I went to all of them, um, and these dates. 
are just they vary and a lot okay. of the big question one of the things that we were going to you know kind of get on the topic today cuz it is something that is just seems to be pretty well regarded as a fact that Billy was mm-hmm. not present for Tunstall's funeral because he was arrested the day before with Fred Waite and Constable Antanasio Martinez. Okay. Now here's, here's what's interesting. Without a doubt, Frederick Nolan was the premier historian when it comes to Frederick Nolan. And I say that because he's the only one that put out the biography and that book, the pictures alone in that book are amazing. You know, I mean, he's got a copy of uh, Tunstall's boarding pass from Lincoln. When, or from, uh, okay. from London when he came over, right? So you're talking about the the Tunstall book, Nolan's Tunstall. The life book. and death, the life and death of John Henry Tunstall, published in 1965. In that book, Nolan puts Tunstall's ball pallbearers as Frank and George Crow, Crow, sorry, Dick Brewer, <laughs> Billy Bonnie. The footnotes in the back of Tunstall's uh, life and death of John Henry Tunstall for that source. Nolan legitimately states, he states in that note, this is based off George Coe's widely inaccurate timeline. Okay? So, that's 1965. Fast forward 1998, over 30 years later, west of Billy the Kid, without a doubt, one of his opus books, for sure. Okay? One of the best reference books out there. By 1998, he legitimately states that Billy was arrested and was therefore prevented from attending John Tunstall's funeral. So by 1998, mm-hmm. he removes him. Okay. So that's interesting. We do know that Mary Ely, the wife of Dr. Taylor Ely states that she played the organ and standing right next to her was Billy, the kid and his cowboy friends armed to the teeth. Okay. Yes, and I, I believe she said Billy had a nice singing voice, right? Yes, she did. He's singing with a very soft <laughs> tenor, okay? Yeah. Now, here's the problem. That is what anybody would say. That's a first-hand account, okay? Mm. Well, she definitely was there, okay? But here's the problem for me when you really dissect it a little. The source of her saying that comes from an undated letter to Maurice Garland Fulton. It is not a documentation that happened on the day of the funeral, a month after the funeral, nothing like that. In an undated letter. Okay. That letter is in the Herman Wisner collection at NMSU. Okay. I've seen the letter. There is no date, but if it's to Maurice Garland Fulton, then you know it puts it into an interesting timeline. Because of yeah. when his main bulk of work was. Right. So, you know, uh, the problem with that, to me, is that she calls him Billy the Kid. Okay? Mm-hmm. That right there, basically, to me, gives that date probably 1920 or past. Somewhere in there, that letter to Fulton. And yeah. Dr... Reverend Dr. Taylor Ely's diary in there, he doesn't actually state the pallbearers or whoever. He dates, uh, he states that Serbian Bates is the one who dug the grave. We know that. He said it was interpreted um, in Spanish by John B. Wilson. He gives those names. He does not give any names of regulators at all. Okay? We also have Alexander McSween's letter to J.P. Tunstall, February 23rd, 1878, where he says that McSween tells Tunstall's father that he dressed the body himself, remember, and put it in the coffin. Then the coffin was closed and carried out by pallbearers Frank and George Coe, John Newcomb, Dick Brewer. So McSween is definitely there, and McSween does not place Billy there. And that's a much more dated source because you know McSween can only go as late as 1878. (laughs) Yep, yep. He can only go a few more months past that time. So February 23rd is one day after the funeral, which was February 22nd. 
Now, mm. here's the thing again. Here's the thing about about Nolan's I know he's not the only one, but man, you know, that book has got so much in it and that's where I started. He also yeah. states in there he refutes Dr. Ely's diary entry that the funeral was on the 21st. In his John Tunstall book, Nolan refutes it and says no. It was February 22nd, not the 21st. But get this, by west of Billy the Kid, even though he has removed Billy from the funeral in this book and says, no, right. he was arrested by Brady, that whole incident, he's not there. In the footnotes, in the back of west of Billy the Kid, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, Tunsil states that the date of Tunsil's funeral has always been a contention. And he says that Dr. Taylor Ely states it as the 21st and the 22nd, which Ely actually does in two different entries, states <laughs> as the 21st on one, and another paragraph on another entry when talking about it, states it as February 22nd, 1878. So again, it gets confusing a little bit because of the dates, right? So whether Billy is at that funeral or not rests just as much on importance of the date of Tunstall's funeral. So, Tunstall, in those notes in West of Billy the Kid, states that after mature reflection, and I imagine after 30 years of researching more, he says that right. he is to conclude that it took place on February 21st. So, he goes from February 22nd in 1965, and then in 1998, he refutes and goes back to February 21st as the date of the funeral. However, the incident where Billy is arrested with Fred Waite and, and, not, and Constable Martinez, there is no source that d disputes the fact that that absolutely happened on February 20th. Okay? Then we know that what, Martinez what are, what are, let out... What are... What are our sources for that arrest? Are there there contemporary sources? Are there arrest records or anything to just irrevocably or irrefutably say this is the day they were arrested? Um, as far as like, I mean, I've never actually you know seen one like an actual like authentic county arrest record right. or anything. I wish right. yeah. I could get my hands like that if something exists, um, but. Every every source that states that he was arrested by Brady on the twentieth um, says that you know Martinez was let out shortly after, mm -hmm. but Wait and Billy were kept for at least twenty four hours. So all the sources In the pit that jail. Uh, it doesn't actually say pit jail, but that, that's the only place they would have been kept at the time. I mean, right. you know, there's no courthouse, but none of the none of the sources do say they were put in the pit jail. I don't see that in any of them. Not Nolan's, nobody. I mean, Utley, in both of Utley's books, High Noon and Lincoln, Short and Violent Life, he just kind of skates right over it in a way. Utley does state that they were released on the 21st, and Utley does state that the funeral took place on the 22nd. He just does not, right. by name, place Billy at the funeral. He just states that he was released after at least 24 hours. And I haven't found one that disputes that. All of them say at least 24 hours. However, the deposition in the Angel Report says that Billy was kept for 30 hours. 30 hours. 30 it's a long hours. time to be in that pit jail. That comes from the Angel Report. And is that yeah. the, okay. you know, is that the, hey, that's the mother all? I mean... You know, that is some legit documentation with statements from just about anybody, you know, involved that you could think of. Um, also, in the Angel Report, um, the report itself, David G. Thomas's book, the Frank Angel Report on the death of John Tunstall, states the funeral as February 22nd, 1878. Right. Which, if uh, that Josh, is the date... Josh. Uh, from the coalition, our uh, one of our supreme leaders, Josh Slatten, shared this image with me: uh, the pit jail, which um, I think is a pretty cool showing of 
you know, a lot of times it's hard for me to picture what that would have looked like. And this is actually one of the first images, illustrations I'd seen of how it would have been set up. I thought this was pretty cool. So Bonnie would have spent about 30 hours down there in that dark, cramped area. (laughs) Where did, um, where did this sketch come from? That we're going to have to ask Josh. I asked him to come on the show and he said he hated this show and didn't want to be a part of it. And, um, fired me yeah, from the coalition you know, so yeah I've we're going to have to make peace yeah yeah there's there was a schism yeah. i'm going to have to somehow bring a peace offering see if we can get him back but uh yeah he just yeah, said he was too cool for this kind he, of thing yeah he's tiptoeing on this you know imbalance of just like you know i'm a little too cool for things <laughs> and i just have to find other ways to yep. word it yeah no, hey, that's look, a cool if he image here, we never, can talk I mean, all we want about him <laughs> absolutely that's why there's editing. Uh, yeah. That's cool because I've, yeah, I mean, we've never, there is no existent photos of it, just a description. You know what I mean? But we do know that the pit jail did exist because George Pepin was contracted to build it. There's even yeah, you know, a contract and price and everything that, yeah, that he, that he, he built it. And there was a contract price. I believe it was $3,500 was what he was paid to build that thing. Right. And in in all seriousness, I don't I don't think he was able to to join us at this time and I know he would have been able to tell us a lot more about yeah. some of this stuff in terms of the pictures he shared, but I will share something else he sent me that I believe is probably a photo of his about where the jail uh location is today and what that looks like, which was also pretty cool. Um Yeah. I've got it right here. Let me know when you see it. It's loading up there. So it looks to be just a a field now. And uh, I don't know if that, you know, patch of dirt next to the pile of lumber would be where the pit jail was or, or where. But that area there in Lincoln is is how it would look today or in the recent recent oh, past. Okay. So that's Okay, yeah. It just came up. Um Yeah. And I have I have seen this before and from him. From him. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember how long ago it was, and I remember when he originally sent me this photo, it was in an email and it did come with uh the details regarding the location and all that stuff, but you know, that'd be like an email from like almost 2 years ago. Right. And can we trust that source? You know, we talk about sources. I don't know if that's a credible source. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know what? And that that is a big thing. And we're talking about this, you know, was Billy at Tunsil's funeral? Well, I mean, look at this, you know, this constant just, well, was it this date or is it that date? You know, but it isn't really right. broad. It is very narrow. It either happened on the 21st or it happened on the 22nd. But if he's in jail for at least 30 hours, if we go by an actual government documentation of the Angel Report, he's in there for 30 mm-hmm. hours. If he's arrested on the early morning hours of the 20th, um, I believe in one of the sources I was able to, John P. Wilson's book, uh, Merchants, Guns, and Money. That book, he says okay. that the funeral took place approximately 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay. So we've got a date. You could probably, okay, we could assume that he's there. But the Mary Ely thing, like I said, well, hey, that's the person that's saying that Billy the Kid was right there singing while she played on the organ. It is important to note that in McSween's letter to J.P. Tunstall, he says, the organ is peeling off sad notes. So that would tell me that there is an organ there. It's in the McSween house. Right. She's probably playing. He yeah. doesn't say that it's it's Miss Ely playing it, but we would just assume because uh, Miss Susan McSween was not there. She was absent at that time. So most likely Mary Ely is playing an organ. If there's an organ playing, if McSween's writing a letter yeah. literally the day after the funeral, putting that, that to me right there would be the closest thing. And if Mary Ely, and- talking about sources, yeah, primary sources of as close to the event from someone who witnessed it. And Dr. Taylor Ely is the one who, you know, 
does the the service, so he's there, but of course doesn't give those names. And to me, that makes perfect sense that he wouldn't give those names because remember, the Elys literally arrived two days prior in Lincoln. Sure, yeah. Why would they know any of these people? Why would they right. know them? Like that's why she refers to him as Billy the Kid because the letter came much later. I would imagine, mm-hmm. especially if it was you know to Fulton. Um, and so whether or not that's a legit source, automatically, like, well, yeah, she's Ely's wife. She was there. But I find firsthand accounts a little, just me, a little bit more credible when I see W.M. Bonnie, Billy Bonnie, oh, yeah. William Bonnie. When they refer to him as Billy the Kid, they're referring to the most the legend. glamorous alias that you can think of that everyone's going to refer to. So the fact that she refers yeah. to him as Billy the Kid, well, you know that did not come documented during the funeral because he didn't have that moniker right. for another two years after. So, you know, so is she a credible source to place him there or is Alexander McSween the most credible source to place him there, which he does not place him there. But you know, he also just he also just names the pallbearers. That doesn't mean Billy couldn't have been there. McSween just said, "Here's the people who carried the coffin out." You know, but Billy could have still something, been there. Something else I think could happen to folks' recollection over time is the convolution of memories and the combining them into one event. When we talk about yeah. Tunstall's body being embalmed and from the 18th to maybe the 22nd to the 21st, his body is in McSween's house. There probably will be multiple times that the organ is played. There will be multiple times that people pay their respects. And perhaps during one of these times, Billy Bonnie sings next to the piano. And uh, 20 years later, 30 years later, and, and further on out, these memories kind of all combined into just one package packaged memory and so what she recalls she may refer to as the funeral it may be over a period of three days while this body is is in this house and they're all paying their respects there's a wake and and all of this stuff so that very well could be what have happened what happened and billy could have said it at any time i'll i'll gun down all of these people responsible for tunstall's death but Co remembers it being at the funeral because his memory has just put a lot of these things together. And right. that may be the case with a lot of this stuff. Right. Well, and you know, it's interesting. We all, those, the deep, the deep researchers, those, the deep people that are out there, you know who you are, who really know <laughs> Frank and George's statements, you know that, you know, Hey, these guys were there. So why, unfortunately, do they have, so many things incorrect. And sometimes it's just a date off to, you know, off by a day or two. But what's interesting is that McSween in the letter to JP Tunstall, the day after the funeral places Frank and George as the pallbearers. So when they're saying that they were there in their statements, well, you know what? I believe that they truly (laughs) were there. So that's interesting. That's like right there. So they're there. And then later on in life. Yeah. George is like, yeah, throws in Billy in just about every damn thing that he could possibly think of and talks about him <laughs> yeah. in the most, right. The most <laughs> embellished dime novel sense. You know what I mean? And everything about George is just kind of <laughs> like, well, wait a minute. He gets this part, right. But then the next paragraph, like he takes you down a path that you're like, what is he, what is he talking about? I thought he was there. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it's like, okay, okay. So is George telling the truth? Well, Let's look at all the other accounts, you know, Blazer's Mill. There's a lot of testimony about Blazer's Mill. And, you know, Coe's remembrance of that is also a little off, you know. And and I think you're definitely right. I think a lot of that memory just comes into play um, and everyone just goes, well, yeah, of course I saw Billy the Kid standing there in the Oregon when it could have been at the time that, yeah, they were embalming the body but not at the funeral, you know what I mean? Which, again, is two completely different things in two different times yeah the the uh tendency of these old timers to embellish and to stretch the truth 
it's truly a mystery to me, man, because it happens so often, and it's not always something you can boil down to just wanting attention or uh, wanting fame or wanting to make your role in things look bigger, because a lot of times their embellishments and their known fabrications diminishes yeah. their role. It's truly inexplicable why uh, and it's so common a thing it's like once you become a certain age uh, become an old timer you've just got to stretch the truth and it's it baffles me but it's something as a, a researcher you have to just take into account when reading a lot of these things you, yeah it's just you have to factor it in as part of your data processing yeah and you know what? And, that, and I think this is a, a good time to like mention this. So when we were in Lincoln in Lincoln days uh, this year, and you know, we both got to meet quite a lot of interesting people, and mm. um, uh, we got we got it was also great because we met coalition members that you know did yeah. the same travel that we did and went there and got to meet them. But you know, when you get to meet descendants of Garrett, descendants of Sheriff Brady. Um, it's interesting to have these conversations anyway, in front of the Penfield house, they had that veterans affair, um, booth that was set up. Well, descendants of Brady of Sheriff Brady were running that booth and I, right. that table, I went up and started just introduce myself. And I, you know, I, I said that I heard there were Sheriff Brady descendants over at this table and, you know, these two guys were right there and they both were like, yeah, you know, us. So we start talking and I asked them a very specific question and I said, so, you know, Donald Lavash did that biography on Sheriff Brady. And this was the guy I was talking to was the great, great, great grandnephew, great, great grandnephew. OK, so I'm talking to him and I say in Lavash's book, he has a source in there for Bennett Leroy Brady and that Bennett Leroy Brady states in an interview, which, of course, you know, like in the 40s or 50s, some around there that the Winchester rifle that Brady, you know, was carrying that was supposedly Billy's. Well, it's apparently a known family thing that Brady purchased that rifle himself three weeks prior to his death. Okay. But it doesn't give me in that book who Bennett Leroy Brady was, who he was to the family, whatever. So I asked mm -hmm. that specific question to those Brady descendants and they go, they basically explain that anything that would come from Bennett Leroy Brady, because it's so many years down the you know down the descendant path, he flat said he goes, those are all stories that came from <laughs> descendants. You know what I mean? He goes, a lot of that would have mm -hmm. come from you know my great uncle uh, Robert, you know uh, Brady's son, you know things like that. He goes, a lot of that is just hand me down. He goes, I quite frankly have never heard that <laughs> that William Brady yeah. purchased that one just a rifle himself you know what I mean and so it's <laughs> interesting because he's flat out saying that's what happens these stories just descend down and even when he could have said absolutely he purchased that rifle because that would make it a little bit more of a you know interesting right. scenario because everyone knows well Brady was going uh, or Billy was going there to get his was he Get, was he getting his rifle back or was he going for the arrest warrant for McSween? You know, the right. warrant was still in his, in Brady's pocket. He clearly didn't get that. So he's going for the rifle. So yeah, he could have flat out told me, no, that's true. That wasn't Billy's rifle. It was William Brady's rifle. And he did purchase it three weeks prior. Instead, he let me know that that is just a kind of hand me down tale that just, right. Just starts to circulate and makes its way. And then, without verbally saying it, lets me pretty much know that he disagrees with that statement, that it was not purchased by Sheriff Willem Brady. So it is interesting to have that kind of like, you that you bring up the antidote, and I'm like, that was perfect, because I like wanted to mm -hmm. ask that specific question. Where else did this come from? Because I've never seen it in any other book. And he goes, it's just a hand-me-down tale. That's all it is. Yeah. It happens way too often. So do it you really do does. you think that do you think Billy was at the funeral or do you think he was still incarcerated? I don't see okay. <laughs> so if the event where him and Fred Waite 
and Constable Martinez are arrested. If it does absolutely happen on the 20th and the funeral is on the 21st, 30 hours, it would be mm-hmm. tough if we're just speculating on those dates. If it is on the 22nd, I don't see any reason at all why he wouldn't be there. It doesn't mean that he had to be a pallbearer. I mean, we know how small he was. It wasn't like, hey, right. <laughs> muscles, come over here and lift this <laughs> coffin. This Lift this metal coffin because he was buried in a metal coffin. So, I mean, yes. that could be just as easily explained like you said. The dates, memories, everything kind of just collides into one. That very well could be it. It also just could be about historians going, well, man, here's the sources I've got to pick from, and they're not exactly sure themselves. So I'm going to run with some, with the source that I believe and stick with it, you know? Right. Yeah. So if the funeral happens on the 22nd, I don't see any reason why Billy would be there because if he's not in the jail, then he's got to be at the funeral. And if he's not in the funeral, then you would think he's He's got to be in jail. Right. But (laughs) also remember the big store raid where Weidman has the soldiers that he got from uh, Captain Purrington that store raid on Tunsil store where they arrested everybody in there, Brady's, you know, men disarmed them, all that stuff. That was on February 23rd and Billy Bonnie was present. So you true, have to take that true. in consideration. Either, yeah. Either way. And Brady got him for the rioting charge along with, you know, 10 others. So he's there February 23rd. There doesn't seem to be any debate about that date happening on February 23rd either. That event definitely took place on that day so really it's about when tunstall's funeral took place and whether or not you believe mary ely saying that he was there and then you have franco saying well he did say i'm gonna kill as many of them as i can but frank says this was at the embalming not the actual funeral so i think it's really yeah like i said will we know I don't know. It's one of these ones where I guess I could just agree with a lot of uh, those comments that we see in groups. Sometimes we're just never going to mm-hmm. know, you know, cause I, if I could find an arrest record, you know, a County record, something like that, that right. would place him there for sure. Um, but there isn't, I don't have any doubt that the, him being arrested with Fred Waite and Martinez, I don't doubt that that event happened. I believe it actually, it absolutely happened. There's too much right. evidence to suggest that it did, you know, compared to saying that it didn't happen. It's just way too much. Right. It's just so. such a slim window between February 19th and the 22nd, that, yeah. that small window of time that we just were not sure yet. And barring the introduction of more solid evidence, we're just going to have to take a informed position yeah. one way or the other and, and allow for um, yeah. a little murkiness. But yeah. Well, cool. I think we covered a lot of topics today. Yeah, we did. We really did. I mean, (laughs) it's always fun when you start, you know, you you do these things like the couple of podcasts I had done the best. You might have this plan like, yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll start with this. We'll go with this. Then we'll move into that. None of that ever happens. It just, no, you just start kind of having an open conversation and it just happens. And especially when it's something you're passionate about and enjoy talking about, uh, this stuff yeah. happens and you, and, and to me, that's way more interesting and, and more fun than having a scripted itinerary yeah. because, you know, we, we wanted to talk about John Middleton, you know, or we talked about John because we wanted to talk about John Middleton and we, we right. brought up these things because we want to, and we enjoy it. And we hope that folks listening are listening because they enjoy it too. And that they want yeah. to dig into history, uh, and get into the real meat and bones of it all. But, um, yeah. Man, we I thought it would maybe be like a half hour discussion, and we clocked in right at fifty nine minutes. So yeah, uh, that's pretty. That'll awesome. give folks something to listen covered. to through the week. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, man, yeah. I, I had a lot of fun, and I mean, it's always fun sitting down and talking to a a fellow writer, researcher, historian, someone that is just as passionate, and who's also one thing I always like about conversing with you is that. You have your beliefs about these events, you know, Billy dying that night, whether, you know, Pat killed him or not. Um, you you know, you've got your own 
like this is what I'm in it for and I'm not in it for really anything. I don't have a side. I don't have a, you know, you're absolutely wrong. You're absolutely right. And I tend to be a little bit more like that. And so I understand that <laughs> that always doesn't work that well. Um, but that's what's always good. Cause I've done that to people sometimes in comments. And there have been times in the past where you end up commenting right back underneath it and you come with a much more articulate way to state that, you know what, you've got your belief, you've got facts, somewhere in the middle, you're just going to have to be okay with, you know, settling on something. And I slowly over time, I'm beginning to see that and agree with it. I can't get everyone to see it this way based on facts because I say they're facts. We know that a lot of people don't think that historic research. I mean, we've had people show up in groups and comments and stuff and literally say that Nolan, Utley, everyone, they're all wrong. They've never done one correct thing, you know? And so, yeah, you're going to have those people that just have a more um, specific avenue that they would like to follow and you just can't change their mind. And I used to think that, you know what? No, if I'm pushy enough, I could change their mind. But <laughs> you realize after a while that the pushiness, it can come across more like bullying. And, you know, I've got to be careful of that. And that's one thing that you're so, you're so good about that. I like that. And that when it is necessary though, I will, I have seen you, you know, come out and let someone know like, Hey, you're just being, you know, way out of line and you're being way out of pocket and that's not cool. <laughs> but I like that you're have always been like, well, hey, there's the legend, there's the facts. Some of us want to live on one side and some of us want to believe in the other. And I really only just want to live on the side that really gives me that that narrowness because the wider it gets, the more convoluted it becomes. And it just makes less and less sense. And that's where the legends tie in. Because legends (laughs) just keep getting bigger. Right. The legends keep getting bigger. (laughs) And his facts keep getting smaller to the point where, not smaller, they're there. But you know what I mean? They're just, they're not Mm -hmm. focused on as much to where we get so many comments. No one's ever going to know. No one knows. No one knows anything. That's right. That's not, that's not true though. You know what I mean? Like history doesn't work that way. People aren't going around just going, we're going to document all this stuff and we're going to fake it. And everyone here is going to lie. And then we're going to keep that up for the next (laughs) 143 years. I just don't have that. Most (laughs) times when people say, when, when people say we're just never going to know, that's usually the, preface to their saying so accept my version and that's that's all they have to go on yeah and and here's the thing we've we've got in the coalition group man you know there are i would say a good you know 20 to 25 really good strong researchers that are you know are obsessed uh, obsessed like Mm -hmm. we are to that level yeah and then there is just a lot of, uh, there's a lot of members. There's a lot of, you know, people who are just, they're young guns fans and they come in there and they want to learn there. It's very rare, but there are the ones that come in and they go, the only thing I know is what I know about these two films. Is it correct? Mm-hmm. Or am I believing in the wrong crap? So that's interesting because then you, then you can tell they want to know and they probably have a tough time believing that the films are accurate. Then sure. you've got then you've got the members that are just like, I I live in New Mexico. I've got descendants. I've got family. We have our stories. You cannot any way at all. You cannot tear those stories from me. Nor can you tell me that they're incorrect or that they're just not right. fathomable. You have those, and they're just as passionate about that as we are about the facts. Sure. So eventually. Yeah. It's just kind of like a big collision of you're either trying to top the next person. And when you do that, it does tend to get negative. And that's what sucks. Sure. And I know that I'm just as responsible, but there's others that are 
that go way well, over the handle that, like that I do, you know what I mean? Because they get so angry and it's like name calling and, you know, I mean, I guess that's passion, but at the same time, it is just those people that are angry and passionate and are like, no, Billy, you know, brushy is Billy because right. I think so. That's that. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Because if you ask them, well, how do you defend that with evidence? They can't. We know they can, mm -hmm. they can try, but a lot of them will not try. They'll just go to the next level of insult that they have in their arsenal. You know, that's, that's correct. Unfortunately. And, and that's what yeah. you get when you have folks who care passionately about what they think. And this is a, a community that really, if you're, if you're in this community, then you care a lot about this subject. However, small it is in the scope of American history or world history or current events or anything, for some reason, something brings us all into this and we all feel very strongly about how we approach it. Uh, but that's something I'd like to bring you on for another episode sometime and talk about, you know, what brought us to Billy and why we're so passionate about it. So that'll be a, a couple episodes. We'll we'll have that talk and, and discuss what it is about Billy that brought us here and what it is about Billy that keeps us here once we learn the history. So I feel a lot of times it's the legend that brings us here, but what about the history keeps us here? So anyway, man, yeah, uh, no, thanks yeah. for hanging out. This was a good chat. Absolutely, brother. Anytime you want me to come back on, have another chat, I'm down. Cool. Hang on the line a second. I'm going to end the recording, but uh, hang on, and uh, we should be able to talk off screen. I want to show you something. All right, cool. Cool.